With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino. With cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. <laughs> Hi, everybody. How are we all doing today? Teching 101 back again. The double snap. Oh, yeah. All right. I don't know what I was expecting from this arc, like what the uh, the climactic final battle was going to be. I assumed it was going to be Cypher Pole Zero for a while. Then I assumed it's like, all right, Papa Kizaru coming to town. Um, you know, and there was that little moment there where I thought the arc was going to be relatively quick. We were just going to get Vegapunks on the boat and just sail away and uh, the great blue yonder and everything was going to be awesome. Um, but with this chapter, just the title of this chapter alone, dude, this is Oda in his element. These are some of my favorite parts of the One Piece story. I just have to read this to you and you'll understand. One Piece, chapter 1075, titled Labostratum Death Game. Oh my god, that is the coolest title ever, right? I was excited last week when it was Mark III. Now it's Labostratum Death Game. Instantly, I am reminded of the survival game at uh, Skypea. Uh, it also reminded me of Counter Hazard. You know, that's probably one of my favorite titles for a One Piece chapter ever was back during Punk Hazard when they decided, like, Law was like, okay, time for the counterattack. And the next chapter was Counter Hazard. I'm like, that is so damn cool. What is your favorite title of a One Piece chapter? Let me know in the comments down below. Um, but I'm loving this because it's like, it, it, it really is is like some alien sci-fi you know kind of movie whatever now where it's like oh my god the lab is locked down we can't get out and there's something in here with us we gotta fight and it's like okay all right we're doing that now all right i'm fine with that all right first we have the cover page though and that in and of itself is interesting uh so i, I don't want to gloss over that this will be continuing the germa double sixes emotionless excursion which is more about mads at this point which is more specifically about vegapunk Vega Vegapunk, in his youth, meets the five elder stars, the rulers of the entire world. <laughs> yeah, so uh, we see Vegapunk there. Uh, his hair is still black, so, you know, he's in his younger years. I actually compared this when he was 43 years old, uh, when he met Dragon at O'Hara, and he's even younger than he was there, because when, um, when he met Dragon, he had a full mustache, if you go back and look at it. Here, he's still just got a little bit of stubble above his lip, okay? But other than that, he looks very similar to the way he did when he met Dragon. So if he was 43 years old after O'Hara, which was in and of itself 
22 years ago. This Vegapunk right here, this meeting between him and the Gorosei probably occurred when he was in his, I want to say late 30s, you know, maybe like five years before Ohara, maybe this was like 27 years ago, not the exact year or anything like that, but it was before that. So, um, a couple of things to note here. So, number one, we see the five Elder Stars in silhouette in the background. The only parts of their bodies we see that are actually like, um, you know, a different, you know, color other than just the silhouette are their facial hair. Alright, so we see, you know, the Gorbachev dude with the giant mustache. We see his silhouette and we see the giant mustache, you know? You know, maybe some people might bring up that like, oh, maybe this gives a little bit of credulity to the theory that the Gorosei are immortal. Um, like they never die or they never age or anything like that because here we have, like, this is easily like 25 plus years ago and the Gorosei just in the silhouette in the background don't look any different. They have the exact same kind of facial hair, at least some of them do. I think uh, the Gonfall looking guy, his beard looks a little bit different. His beard here is like forked into like four different sections. I don't think, I don't, I don't remember if that's how he looks right now. I don't think it is. Uh, maybe it is. I might just be misremembering, okay? But they, other than that though, they all still look pretty much exactly the same in terms of stature. Um, so maybe there's some credulity there because they don't look like they've really changed at all in 30 years. Maybe that's the reason Oda put them in silhouette because he does want to reveal at some point, hey, the Gorosei are actually immortal or they've lived a very long time or they don't age or something. Maybe they've all had the immortal surgery placed on them because keep in mind, the uh, op-op fruit, you know, the previous owner was a doctor that I guess performed the immortal surgery on somebody, but if the op-op fruit has been in existence and circulation for, you know, 900 something years since the void century or whenever devil fruits were created, then you could have the, the government get their hands on the op-op fruit before perform the immortal surgery on this person and this person and this person making the Gorosei and they're always going to be the Gorosei. Also, I want to bring up just how much of a big deal Vegapunk was in the world to actually meet with the Gorosei. I mean, this is insane. These are the five dudes that for all intents and purposes and from the uh, perspective of the citizens of the One Piece world run everything. They run the world government effectively making them the oligarchy, the little group that runs the entire world. I was going to say this is like going to meet the president or the king or the prime minister of your particular country, but it's even more of a big deal than that, okay? Like, this is like, wow, okay, Vegapunk, you're gonna go have an audience with the Gorosei. Like, that is something that is not given to very many people, all right? To actually go all the way up. Like, think of it this way. Think of it this way. Even at the Reverie, when you have all these kings and queens coming in from all over the world, it's not like the Gorosei showed up at the Reverie to address the, um, the kings or anything. Like, oh, hello there. Welcome, kings and queens of the world. We are the Gorosei here to open up the proceedings. No, they weren't there. Um, they were kind of off in their own little room of authority. It was stated that, um, Cobra had asked for a, you know, audience with them, you know, just one on five. However, you know, that, that seemed to be not like a standard kind of operating protocol, okay? So they don't usually interact with people, even other kings and queens, but here, you know, they invited Vegapunk. And this also goes back to St. J. Garcia mentioning a few chapters ago that, uh, oh yes, I did meet Vegapunk one time a very long time ago, and this was probably referencing that meeting. So this is probably when he was invited into the government, and he explained to them all of his plans and his genius intellect, and they became aware of that, and they're like, okay, we'll give you an island, we'll give you a staff, we'll give you uh, government funding. If you make things for the Marines and for the world government and the Cypher Pole, we'll, we'll help you out with your research. And Vegapunk seems pretty happy here. He's wearing a fancy suit, and he's 
just like, man, everything's looking up for me. Oh, gee shucks, I'm Dr. Vegapunk Quasar. Yeah, okay, but um, yeah, a lot of stuff to unpack with that alone, but now moving into the actual chapter. So we cut back right after Pythagoras was attacked. So in the last chapter, Pythagoras, Vegapunk satellite number four, the one that covers wisdom, was like walking along one of the towers trying to find the main Stella body, and then he just kind of turns around and is just like, huh? And then boom, just a giant explosion. We saw a mysterious individual stepping out of the shadow, and then boom, a giant explosion, okay? And so we now see the tower in the ruins. We just see smoke and everything, and a bunch of sirens and alarms are going off. Keep in mind, this is an advanced laboratory, so I'm sure they have like fire suppression systems and all that kind of stuff. Um, and so you have Shaka trying to get in touch with Pythagoras, like, Pythagoras! Pythagoras, please respond! Pythagoras! Okay, and so th this is an issue here, okay? They're kind of examining um, the, the monitors. Shaka's looking at all the monitors, and we see, you know, the monitor with the Den Den Mushi showing the smoke from the explosion, and then Shaka just witnesses a silhouetted uh, figure emerge from the fog, the smoke of the explosion, and just kind of eliminate the Den Den Mushi. So it's kind of like Shaka's like examining the monitors, like, what's going on here? And then all of a sudden it just, whoo, and then just, you know, the, uh, the monitor turns off and it was the, the disconnection, okay? Um, which means right then and there, we have a Den Den Mushi serial killer on our hands, ladies and gentlemen. You know, I'm okay with villains in One Piece, you know, fighting against pirates and marines and revolution and whatever, who cares? But if you're gonna attack poor defenseless snails that are just doing their job, you are truly pure evil, sir, or madam. We don't know who this is. Okay, so uh, Luffy, remember, Luffy and Zoro are the only ones with Shaka. Well, Rob, Lucci, and Kaku are there too, but they're still knocked out. So they're kind of like off in a side room. Like the control room is like over here, and that's where Shaka's messing with the monitors. And then there's like another, like an ante room or an ante chamber that's over here with the couches where Luffy and Zoro and Rob, Lucci, and Kaku are chilling out. And so Luffy's got, you know, the future gear. He's got a, uh, a headphone in his ear and he's like listening to everybody's like radio reports and then all of a sudden it's just like shh, just like radio static. And Luffy doesn't understand what that means and he's just like, wait a second, I was hearing a bunch of voices in my head and now they're all gone. Huh, that's weird. I should probably go talk to Shaka about that. So Luffy goes over to talk to Shaka and he's like, hey, um, I, I didn't break it, I swear to God. And Shaka basically is just like, no, it's not you there's somebody else in this lab with us right now. And dude, if that isn't one of the most ominous lines, like you thought this was going to be a nice little happy future adventure. And also, the, the more of the dread comes from the fact that like, these are the Vegapunks. These are like the smartest beings in all of One Piece. They built this island. They built this lab. They should know what happens in this place at all times. And Shaka's like, we don't have control of this place. There's somebody in this lab right now. They're messing with us. They're trying to eliminate us. This was a planned attack, okay? So, I, I was skipping around the chapter a little bit because we're going to see all the different groups that the uh, Straw Hats and the Vegapunks are in, respectively, as they're, um, you know, um, uh, searching the lab for Vegapunk. But I had to bring that up because that was a very ominous kind of line from Shaka there. Um, so, the image of the person that kind of reaches up to, like, block out the camera. Um, he looks 
or they look uh, rather amorphous. Kind of reminds me a little bit of the Kanzenbo from Wano. You know, that thing, that like amorphous blob ghost fire demon thing that Kanjiro created. Maybe it followed them all the way from Wano. Maybe the Kanzenbo, the, the rage of the Kurozumi clan cannot be quelched that easily, Straw Hats. I am the Nurochi. I am back in ghost form. Ooh. I am here to ruin your adventure, Straw Hats. It's just, yeah, but it, it looks similar to the Kanzenbo. But no, um, it's, okay, first instincts is it's caribou. Because this image of this person, obviously they're in silhouette, but they look kind of amorphous. They, it looks like a, a, a puddle of, like, jelly that's, like, reaching out and, like, you know, like, like, turning off the camera or whatever. So that would fit caribou's description perfectly, okay? But here's the kicker. I don't think it's Caribou that's, you know, behind all of this, because I don't think Caribou's smart enough to mess with the Frontier Dome and screw around with the laboratory and, like, ambush Pythagoras and everything like that. So, remember back when, uh, this was at the beginning of Egghead. This was, like, the chapter where we found out there were six Vegapunks. Remember, I'll just play you the clip. Here it is. Here's the thing, I want everybody to understand this, okay? Because this is something that happens a lot in anime, okay? And every time it happens, I usually am like, whoa, I didn't see that coming, but I totally should have. Okay, so Oda introduced the premise that there are seven bodies. There's the main body, plus there's six satellite bodies, okay? Don't take that at face value. Do not take that at face value. There could be a seventh. There could be a seventh body somewhere out there. There could be a, a special, top-secret, like, android, you know, like, back in, like, Android 16 is, like, not, you know, supposed to be awakened, you know, in, like, Dragon Ball or something like that. Okay, so... Remember that, because that's probably going to be relevant. When Oda sets a number and he says, by the way, there's six Vegapunks. I'm like, ah, you want us to think there's only six, don't you? Or technically seven with the Stella body. You want us to think there's only seven. Oh, no, there's another one. This is like, you know, some murder mystery, you know. One of the eight of us is actually the murderer. Oh, there was a ninth guy behind the stairs the entire time. <gasps> you know, it's like that. That's what we're kind of going with here, alright? So what if there's another Vegapunk that's sort of like the decommissioned Vegapunk? Maybe it's a Vegapunk that, you know, the, the main body scrapped years ago. Like, it was too unpredictable. I'm gonna put it in stasis or whatever. And the other Vegapunks don't even know about it. Shaka, Lilith, Pythagoras, Edison, York, and Atlas. They don't know anything about this other satellite because Vegapunk, like, you know, put him in cryogenic, you know, stasis or whatever and locked him away. What if Caribou, while he was, like, escaping from the sunny when Zoro and Brooke kind of kicked him out, you know, Caribou's like, hey guys, thanks for rescuing me from Wano, but this is a government island, so I really don't want to get off here. And then Zoro is just like, yeah, well, <laughs> have a good day. And Caribou's like, oh, whatever. And so he, he slimes his way away into the lab, and Zoro and Brooke don't really care, because there's like, there's nothing he can do. He's an idiot, you know? And so he ends up stumbling upon this, this basement or whatever. He, you know, oozes his way into it with his devil fruit ability, he's basically just mud, and then he activates the, just like, I am Vegapunk number satellite seven, I'm the eviler one, you know, maybe it's not even so much evil, it's more of like betrayal, or whatever aspect that he represents, like the mad scientist, or whatever, right, um, you know, which actually, that is an aspect of being a scientist, that Vegapunk, we have the good scientist, we have the evil scientist, but we don't have the, maybe the mad, you know, traitor scientist, I don't know, or just somebody that was hard to control. And so Caribou activates that guy and he gets
gets up, and then he's just like, all right, and then he starts messing with the Frontier Dome, and Caribou's like his lackey, and just like, I found someone else to work for, <laughs> you know, it's like it's something like that, right? So uh, this might be Caribou that's de disabling all of these, but when it comes to, uh, you know, turning everything off in the lab and manipulating the Seraphim, you know, Caribou cannot do that kind of stuff, all right? So we'll see where this goes, right? Um, there's something else I wanted to bring up, but we'll address that when we get to the moment with the Seraphim in this chapter. Okay. So now we cut around the lab. Uh, Oda finally gives us a map of the Labosphere, so that's pretty handy. Uh, half of it, like the top half, has been sliced off by um, S Hawk's initial attack and like S Bear and S Snake attacking it. Uh, so it's it's damaged a little bit, but we see that there's like a central tower that has like five floors, like four floors, and then like an observation deck. That's the part that got sliced in half by S Hawk. Uh, yeah, and then we have two other buildings off to the side that should be like uh, three or four stories tall, but the tops of them have also been destroyed, okay? So we're in the uh, place where we see Nami and Brooke and uh, Edison's group. So they're in one group and they're walking around the lab and they stumbled into the area of the lab that was researching artificial diamonds, like artificial gem production. So as you can imagine, Nami immediately freaks out over that. She's like walking around and she sees this like oven essentially filled with diamonds. And she's like, oh my God, they're diamonds. Um, I'm just gonna take all of these now. They're probably worth a lot, right? It doesn't matter. This whole place is being attacked by seraphims and the government and, the, and everything's going crazy. I'm just gonna steal these. Is that okay? And Pythagoras, not Pythagoras, uh, Edison is there, the little robot dude. And Edison's like, well, I mean... You do have a point. I mean, the government is knocking at our door and we have more pressing issues to worry about, so I guess it really doesn't matter if you steal all these gems and stuff, but, um, you know, you, you know those are man-made, right? They're meant for research purposes. They're not meant to be, like, sold at the, you know, local jewelry store or whatever. And Nami mentions that it's rather heavy, uh, which is weird, because she actually leaves the money behind. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, it, it, it's a strange thing for Nami, actually. She takes, like, a giant backpack of gems and diamonds and she hoists it up and like she's fine and then you know Edison is like shouldn't we be looking for Vegapunk and Nami's like yeah I guess you're right and she takes off the backpack and just leaves it there and then just walks away marveling about how the future is amazing and it's like wow you can make diamonds that's incredible you know and so she's got the berries in her eyes and everything like that so that's their group Brooke Edison and Nami uh, next we cut over to uh, Chopper's group with Robin and Atlas okay so Atlas has been repaired and uh, Chopper's just talking about that with her like wow okay so you got your face like blown off by uh, Rob Lucci's Roku Ogon, and you're able to just repair that. And Atlas is like, oh yeah, as long as we have spare parts, we can just mix and match. I can just replace my face with whatever. And Chopper's like, wow, that's incredible. So they're walking through the part of the lab that's more about like uh, medical research and like biological studying of organs and stuff. I don't know. It's artificial organs. They're, they're walking through the artificial organs section of the lab, okay? So Robin looks over and sees like this glass dome with like liquid and there's like organs like growing in it like pulsating or whatever and she's like oh is that Vegapunk somebody must have hacked up his body and thrown them in these vats <laughs> it's like Jesus Robin I love the sense of humor anyway so um uh, Atlas explains is like oh no 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 that's not Vegapunk these are artificial organs that were growing you know in the future they're going to be indispensable to doctors and as you can imagine Chopper I, I kind of wish we would have more of a time for Chopper to sit down and really discuss all this 
stuff because this is like Chopper's thing. Like he starts crying over how like the possibilities in Chopper's head right now of like, oh my God, you can grow artificial organs? That's insane. That could change the entire field of medicine. That does change the entire field of medicine. Somebody has a messed up kidney, you can literally just remove it and then just pop another one in there. You know, Zorro's liver might be able to be saved after all. <laughs> he, that's why he's crying. He's just like, uh, Zorro's drinking like three gallons of sake every day. I don't know how to stop him. Now he can finally, <laughs> you know? Uh, I'm just kidding. Zorro's, Zorro's kidneys and liver, all that, all of his internal organs have armament hockey and conquerors hockey. He'll be fine. He'll be fine. Um, but, you know, uh, the, the jokes aside, you know, Chopper being a doctor, I mean, Kareha would love this too. Like the idea that like you can grow a heart or a liver or lungs or anything like that. It's a game changer, okay? And it's like stuff that we're working on today in medical science, you know, growing organs to transplant into uh, patients that, you know, have their organs damaged or uh, diseased or something like that. It's a really big deal, okay? So, uh, at this point, we cut back to the lab, and this is the moment where Luffy goes up to Shaka, and Shaka's like, there's somebody in this lab with us right now, okay? And we see all of the monitors are now, like, disconnected. Well, I guess there's a couple of them there's still, yeah, there's like one or two of them that are still active, but most of them have been turned off. And then we just have this ominous scene where the lab is, it's, it's so weird, because the only people in the control room are Shaka and Luffy. And I imagine there's just this beat of silence, and Shaka's just like, we're not alone in here. And then, like, cue ominous horror movie music, like, da-na-na, 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 da-na-na. And, like, Shaka starts looking around, and Luffy's just, like, like, picking his nose or whatever, just like, huh, what, what, yeah. Of course we're not alone. I'm with you right now, buddy. You know, Luffy's actually the best kind of guy to, like, ease a tense situation, honestly. Um, so now we cut over to Sanji, Jinbei, and Stussy's group. So now they're walking around the lab here. They're in the weapons manufacturing wing, and they mention that it's very below, it's way below the lab, and it's also um, not damaged by all the commotion from up above. And it makes sense, you know, where Vegapunk, if he has his arm he's gonna make sure that that place is reinforced pretty heavily so the entire lab above could be destroyed like someone could detonate a nuke and the whole lab could explode um, where's Frankie at right now okay he's not there with them that's good um, <laughs> but um, the whole lab could probably explode upstairs and this like weapons manufacturing plant that's like underground would not be affected okay it's probably reinforced quite heavily there um, so as you can imagine Sanji's you know lovelorn over Stussy right now and uh, Sanji actually remembers her from the tea party. See, I remembered Stussy was at the tea party, Sanji was there, but I never remembered them actually interacting. So it was probably just from like a distance thing. So Sanji's just like, oh, you're Stussy, right? I saw you at the tea party. Remember that? Did you see me? How awesome I was with my Diablo Jambe? Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere, and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. I dodged that gumdrop bullet or no, then it was a jelly bean. I, I dodged that jelly bean bullet and I, I made a giant cake. You were there for that, right? Yeah, it was pretty awesome, huh? And, uh, Stussy is kind of, I can't tell 
<laughs> I can't tell if she's genuinely flirting with Sanji or if she's got Sanji's number to a T. So she's just like, okay, teehee, yeah, that's just so funny that I met you there. Anyway, keep an eye out for Vegapunk, please. You know, uh, and Sanji's talking about it. She's like, oh, please make me your loyal dog, Stussy. And she's like, haha, ara ara, oh, silly you. Just keep an eye out for Vegapunk. So I feel like, no, it's not like genuinely flirting. I feel like she is aware of like, okay, all right, I, I know the kind of guy Sanji is, but I can use that to my advantage here, okay? And so that's what basically she's doing. Uh, Jinbei's just walking around. I, I love how Jinbei is just wearing a Hawaiian shirt throughout this entire arc. Like, it was, it was funny at first, but the fact that now we're in this death game scenario where they're split up trying to find the Stella body and the Seraphims are there and people, there's like, you know, uh, mysterious people in the lab attacking them and everything and Jinbei's just like, man, I hope I, my Hawaiian shirt survives this. You know, this is a weird kind of predicament we found ourselves in here, kids. And it's just like, this is strange. Um, I want to go to the help desk and ask for, you know, like, where are we right now in the lab? I need a map. You know, where's it at? Um, Okay, so finally we see the last group. We see the third floor, Building C. Um, this is going to be a little bit like Punk Hazard when they were running around the lab on Punk Hazard, and it's just like Building A, Floor 3, our building, Floor 2. It, it's going to be a little confusing with that, so that's why, don't worry, don't worry, that's why geography is everything, and when I'll make a video covering all of the geography of Egghead after this arc wraps, we'll make sure everything makes sense. So uh, we see Frankie's group with York, as well as Lilith and Us. Okay, they're walking through and uh, Lilith finally explains what her laser bazooka was. I was giving it way too much credit. I was calling it a laser bazooka. It's a bubble gun. All right, not like a bubble gun, like, you know, one of those guns you had when you were a kid and you know, like they shoot the bubbles and it's so funny. They actually make like, like Gatling versions of those now, which I kind of want to get. I kind of want to buy a Gatling bubble gun on the internet. Anyway, uh, but no, it's a bubble gun and she says this can reject any sort of attack. So it's the same kind of tech that the uh, the bubble shields that Mark III were using. It's just in a format of a bazooka, okay? So, and uh, there's, you know, Usopp is even like, or I think it's actually Frankie, you know, you know, what kind of attack just bounces things back, okay? So, it's weird that Frankie, I think Frankie is trying to equate it to an attack, like an offensive weapon, whereas it's clearly more of a defensive weapon, okay? It's more of a shield, as with the case with Mark III. So, that's what this thing is going to do. So, she could probably just, like, aim the laser bazooka bubble gun and just be like and it just like forms a shield to like block an attack so that thing's gonna come in handy um york is with them but like i said she's giant woman that's just really tired all the time so she's like ah guys where are we at i don't know i want to take a nap here okay by the way after this chapter uh i think it's pretty clear that york is not involved in any of the duplicitousness going on here she's not like the evil vegapunk or anything for a reason we're gonna see pretty soon um so they're walking next to the tower where Pythagoras was attacked. So they approach, like, the bridge, like, the scaffolding over the area. Keep in mind, the whole Labosphere, there's punk records, which is effectively the sky. It's the underside of that egg dome. So you got, like, basically the whole Labosphere shaped like a giant egg that's cracked open... And the straw hats in the lab and everything are inside of the egg right now. They're in the yolk, 
as it were. And so the sky is basically just that grid pattern, like they're in Tron, that says punk records on it. So that's like when they look up, that's what they see. And then they have like outside of the lab, like there's trees and grass and vegetation and that kind of stuff. And then there's the lab in the center of it, okay? It, I think this is going to look like a lot better in the anime. Obviously, it's just the manga right now. But I think the establishing shots and stuff we're going to get in the anime is going to make it look really cool, okay? A lot of neat little aesthetics going on here with this arc and this design. So they're approaching the bridge and they see Pythagoras's body. They say they see his body all beaten up and dented and there's like smoke coming out of it and they're like, oh no, Pythagoras is dead, his head is gone. And then they, they hear a, a sound, a voice coming from the other side of the bridge and Usopp takes out his Kabuto and he's just like, who's there? I'll destroy you, I'm Sniper King. And then that's when Pythagoras's head just comes bouncing out of the smoke, just like, hey, hold on guys, I'm okay. So it's just literally Pythagoras' head. It's literally just an oval with eyes that has little arms and little legs just running down. It's like, hey guys, I'm all right. I deattached my head. You know what's funny? This was actually set up earlier. In chapter 1065, in Pythagoras's first introduction when he was taking notes, because he represents wisdom, he's like, I'm taking notes on this. His head literally pops out of his body. Now, I thought that was just for comedic effect. I didn't really notice it all that much, but it's a brilliant thing where Oda showcases something in the background as sort of just, this is just comedic effect, and it's like, oh, he can detach his head. That's kind of a funny little thing. And then everybody kind of forgot about it, but here, it actually makes perfect sense. You know, it's like, oh, I can eject my head from my body, and it also makes sense from what Atlas said earlier, like, oh yeah, we can just, you know, piece our bodies together, we can change it around, we're basically robots, and so that's what, you know, Pythagoras is. So his real body, his brain, is in his head, and then just pops off and just runs around with little legs, and so he's fine. I mean, he doesn't have his body anymore, but he can get another one of those, he'll be fine. So, Pythagoras, though, is very frustrating, because he walks up and he's just like, he's like, uh, the um, you know, Usopp and Frankie and Lilith, or he's like, what happened, Pythagoras? It looks like you were attacked by somebody. And Pythagoras is just like, oh, it was the darndest thing. It sounds implausible. It sounds impossible. It sounds ridiculous. But I was attacked by someone. And they're like, okay, who was it? It's just like, oh my goodness, I couldn't believe my own eyes when I saw it. And it's like, okay, who was it, Pythagoras? It's just like, oh, you'll never believe it. It's insane what happened. I hardly believe it. It's like, who, dude, who was it? So it's like, this seems to be like literally a quirky thing that like Oda's kind of on the nose here where it's like no he's this is literally Pythagoras's personality he's his whole thing is about wisdom so I feel like rather than just explaining what happened just by his nature as a satellite he has to like overly examine it so he's still like processing what just happened and he's more focused on that using more brain power on processing what happened and all the theories and possibilities um, um, rather than just explaining what happened, okay? So that's, I think, the issue going on there, okay? So while they're trying to talk with Pythagoras's little little toy head with the little like clockwork thing, the little winding uh, key on top, it's actually rather it's rather interesting. I'd have a toy of Pythagoras. I want I want a pop figurine of Edison and little Pythagoras's head now. But anyway, while this is going on, York wanders further down the bridge, and at the end of the bridge is S Snake. 
is Boa Hancock's Seraphim, okay? And so York just assumes that like, oh, the Seraphim is here. Well, isn't that interesting? I remember way back when, uh, you know, they ordered them to stop. You know, we ordered, you know, Edison ordered all the Seraphim to obey us. So it's kind of weird that you're over here, huh? And so York goes over to like kneel down and like pet S Snake's head. And then Pythagoras is like, wait, don't. And then York gets turned to stone by the uh, Mero Mero no me. And then just, and just like, okay, so York, I, I don't think, is going to be the mastermind behind all of this. Unless York is playing this 4D chest Machiavellian kind of thing where it's like, I will be eliminated by the Seraphim, so they think it wasn't me, but it actually was me the entire time. I mean, at this point, you, you kind of just have to go with any possibility. Also, going back to the whole Love Love Beam thing affecting people, um... You know what I'm starting to think this might be? Is the way that the Love Love Fruit works is because originally, back when Boa Hancock was first introduced and she used the ability on the Marines and like Momonga's fleet and everything, um, it, it, she implied that it had to be lust. That had to be the thing that if men look at her, if anybody looks at her with lust, then they'll turn to stone, okay? But now in this arc, we're seeing like a different angle with this. I think it's not necessarily lust. I I think it's any sort of affectional like emotion toward the user of the love love fruit in any capacity is probably the thing that triggers it. I, I'm thinking that's how it works, okay? Because I, I, York is going over and is just like, aw, you're so cute. And then that's the thing that affects her to knock her into, turn her into stone, okay? So I'm thinking it's that. If you eat the love love fruit, if anybody looks at you with any sort of affection in any context or any capacity whatsoever, um, then the love love fruit will work and turn you to stone. Then again, the fruit also works when it comes to um, like inanimate objects, like Bo is able to affect the pacifistas, but York had like hearts in her eyes when she like passed out and turned to stone. So yeah, I guess that's the way it works. At least that's the way I'm rolling with it, I suppose. It makes a little bit more sense, I guess. Anyway, um, so York is knocked out, so she's not gonna be in the rest of this fight. And now we have Lilith and Edison who are like, Hey, Seraphim, stand down! And then she's like, yeah, I'm not listening to you. And then she raises up her hand to fire the laser beam, and she fires the laser shot at the group, so they all kind of jump off the bridge. Now, remember, they're all wearing the Dom shoes. Edison can fly. Uh, you know, Frankie and Lilith, they have the Dom shoes, so they kind of, like, land, and they kind of use their gravity boots to kind of, like, stabilize themselves. Usopp just kind of lands right in a cloud, and Frankie has to pick him out of the ground like a carrot, so that's kind of funny. Um, but anyway, yeah, so they land on the ground and they kind of look up and then you know s snake just kind of looks down at them and just kind of like smiles like hmm and she's like opening fire and so they're like what's going on here i thought they they weren't even supposed to be in the lab right now they're supposed to be listening to us what's happening huh what's going on so now we cut back to the uh, final scene of the chapter. It's a, rel a relatively quick chapter. We mostly just move around to see what's going on. I think there were actually fewer pages with this one. But anyway, last scene of the chapter, we cut over to the control room where we now have S-Bear and S-Hawk, Mihawk and Kuma Seraphims attacking the lab head on. Like they're in the control room now attacking everybody. Luffy is bouncing around. Zoro takes out his swords. Like they're ready to fight. Rob Lucci and Kaku are, um, well, they're still on the ground unconscious and Zoro actually has a line 
where he's like, oh, they're coming after Cypherpole Zero. All right, they might be our enemies, but I'm not going to let these Seraphim attack, you know, um, you know, unconscious people with handcuffs on. That's just not fair. Even if they are our enemies, that's not how Zoro rules. It's kind of like the, you know, scars on the back are a swordsman's shame. It's like during Wano when he's like, even though Kiku was being uh, carted off with a bunch of sumo wrestlers, it's not like Zoro's going to be like, I don't know, man, like cutting up a bunch of naked sumo wrestlers, that's it's not really my thing, okay? So he has a code of honor, right? So the Seraphim are seemingly going directly for the Cypherpole Zero agents, okay? Which implies something, but hold on. We're almost at the end of the chapter here. So uh, they open up their... Uh, Kuma opens up his mouth as Bear, and he attacks with his laser. They all kind of jump out of the way. Shaka, of course, tries to order them down. They're not listening to him. So Shaka comes to the theory that there must be another uh, Vegapunk that has turned traitor. That is the only way this makes any sense right now, okay? Because of the control hierarchy. Now, there's another possibility here, and of course, that's the possibility of the Gorosei. So the Gorosei are the highest authority beyond Vegapunk. Now, Shaka has no idea that one of the Gorosei, it's, it's a complete impossibility to Shaka that one of the Gorosei is ordering them around, because the Gorosei, like, never leave the room of authority, ever. And that's, like, almost halfway around the world, you know, uh, you know, to Shaka. So he's like, you know, remove that ridiculous possibility that the Gorosei are not here, so it has to be another Vegapunk. So, two possibilities here. Number one, Shaka could just be wrong because he assumes that, okay, because the Gorosei cannot possibly be here, therefore it has to be another Vegapunk. He could be wrong because we know St. J. Garcia Saturn is arriving on the island. Now, Here's the problem with that, though. Last time we saw him, he was on the ship. Maybe St. J. Garcia arrived already and began issuing orders to the Seraphim. The problem with that is that they're in the Frontier Dome right now, completely locked down. All right, so I do not think it's the Gorosei, because that would be skipping over a lot of stuff. Like, the Gorosei arriving on the island, somehow breaching the Frontier Dome, getting in, and then St. J. Garcia... J. J. Garcia is not going to be walking around by himself. He's going to have an entire army of Marines and Kizaru next to him. Kizaru is going to be next to this dude at all times, because he's one of the five elders, okay? So, I just don't think it's him. I don't think it's St. J. Garcia Saturn, okay? Um, I think it is another Vegapunk. I think there is a, another Vegapunk that was, you know, like the ninth man, or in this case, the eighth, uh, the, the seventh satellite that we haven't met yet, working with Caribou, okay? Now, here's another possibility, because I just thought of this as reading the chapter. You know how I said that whenever, you know, uh, an author presents you with like, hey, there's six of these characters, therefore there must maybe be a seventh one? Well, the same thing kind of applies to the Gorosei. There are five members of the Gorosei. Why are there five members of the Gorosei? Uh, well, five Elder Stars, but, like, that's because Oda told us there were five members. What if there's a sixth member? And I'm not talking about Eam. I'm talking about there's another member of the uh, Elder Stars that rules the government, and... I'm not saying there... I, I don't know. I don't know. I'm just thinking about it as a possibility now because it's like, okay, what if there was another Gorosei that was wandering the world that was not part of the original five but still counts towards you know, the orders. Now, in this case, I think it is just another Vegapunk that we didn't know about, but uh, this might be something that gets addressed later, is what I'm saying. You know, it's like, there were actually six of the Elder Stars the whole time! It's like, <gasps> you know, so... And I, that kind of is the case with Eam already, but anyway. So that's Vegapunk. I mean, that's a Shaka's theory, and he's just like, yeah, there's something going on here. There's This is a planned attack, the barrier to seal us in, the Seraphim getting in the barrier, and now being taken control of by another Vegapunk. 
you know, and the way that this works, of course, is on similar levels. So this other Vegapunk gives them an order. I guess Shaka cannot override that order, even though they're on the same level, which is a design flaw, if you ask me. But whatever. So, um... Yeah, something's troubling with all of this, is what Shaka says. And then the last shot of the chapter is Rob Lucci and Kaku waking back up, and they're bound with Karyoseki, which makes perfect sense why there would be Karyoseki. I wonder if Karyoseki would work on the Seraphim. That's an interesting possibility. Maybe it could work. But, you know, they have it, because they're in Vegapunk's lab, and he's working with, you know, Sea Prism all the time on the ship, so they would have a lot of that stuff there. So, they're bound, they can't do anything, so they look over to Luffy and Zoro, and they're like, Hey, Luffy, Roranora, let us go. And we'll let bygones be God bygones, and we'll just fight alongside you because you know we don't want to die here, right? And so the last shot is Luffy and Zoro making the ha face from Wano, like so. Luffy and Zoro just like ha what? I think Oda's just having a lot of fun with that recently. That's his like his new thing. And uh, so that's the end of the chapter. And I don't think there's a break next week. Uh, it doesn't say there is. Um, and so there's like they look disgusted. All right. So I got to be honest with you. I wasn't expecting a Luchi Kaku Luffy's Zoro team up. <laughs> I was not expecting that, um, you know, but it makes perfect sense because out of all the villains in One Piece, um, there's villains that would definitely never work with the Straw Hats, like, ever. Uh, villains of this ilk would probably be, like, Arlong, Horty, uh, or Hody, uh, also Eneru. I don't think Eneru with his god complex would ever be like, Straw Hat, we used to be enemies, but now we fight together. You know, I don't think it's anything like that. Crocodile worked together with Luffy at Impel Down. I think um, you know what's funny? I was gonna say Doflamingo would never work with Luffy for any reason, but I don't know. Doflamingo's just so unpredictable. Like, imagine if it was Lu imagine if it was Dofi in this scenario right now, like, locked up in the cuffs. Do you think Dofi would be like, hey, Straw Hat, this is getting pretty crazy. Let me go and I could fight. And just like, I don't know if Dofi would do that or if Dofi would just be like, you know what? Leave me chained. I don't care. I'm just gonna sit here and watch you die. You know, <laughs> maybe it would be. I could kind of see either ways with Doflamingo, but like, yeah, but with Rob Lucci and Kaku, keep in mind, they don't have, like, some deep-seated, like, Straw Hats, you are my arch-nemesis, I will never work with you! You know, they don't have some kind of, like, evil, like, monarch kind of, like, fools! Dr. Ventia! You know, I will never work with you! You know, they don't have that kind of shit. They're just assassins. There's a little bit of a grudge there just because, you know, Zoro beat up Kaku, Luffy beat up Luchi twice now, so there's probably a little bit of a grudge there. Like, if Luchi, you know, and like, Luchi would definitely want to like put Luffy in his place, like punch him down and defeat him. But it's like this is a this is a life or death scenario. This is kind of like a enemy of my enemy. We have a common enemy, a common threat, so let's you know, put aside our differences and let's just fight together here because if not, we're gonna die. And considering what Zoro said earlier, like, hey, you know, I, I don't want to have to defend these guys because, like, you know, I don't want them to get, you know, killed by the Seraphim because they're chained up. They don't have the ability to fight back. That's not fair to them. So I think they are gonna release their cuffs, or, or rather Shaka is. I'm assuming Shaka actually has the key to their cuffs. So Shaka will probably let them go, and then he might go off and do something else. I don't think Shaka is gonna be part of this fight. Um, but then we have Luffy and Zoro fighting alongside Luchi and Kaku, who we now know their awakening forms. So that was a brilliant way that Oda spun this. I, I actually really like this, where yeah, it was like going into this arc, it was like, yeah, there's no way Luchi and Kaku were going to defeat the Straw Hats as they are now. I mean, I had high hopes for Luchi. I thought he might be able to pull through, but he didn't. Um, so it's very clear that, like, Luchi is not going to win in a straight-up fight with Luffy, and Zoro's not, uh, Zoro, uh, Kaku's not going to win in a straight-up fight with Zoro. 
Toro. But that's not the point of this. The point of it is not for them to fight them again, once again, because that would just be retreading stuff from Water 7 and Eni's Lobby all over again. But now it's working together. Now it's like Luchi getting freed, going into his Awakened Leopard and fighting alongside Luffy's Gear 5th, and then Kaku goes in his Awakened Giraffe, uses his Four Sword style with his Ronkyaku and everything, fight alongside Zoro. That's gonna be a cool battle, okay? So, a lot of stuff to unpack with this, uh, with the Vegapunks, but I think the idea that there is another Vegapunk stored away in stasis somewhere in the basement. Okay, this is a weird thing that reminds me of it, but I'll bring it up because I'm a Power Rangers kid. Uh, Power Rangers in space. Uh, the, the coolest ranger of all time. Who is it? It's Zane, of course, the Silver Ranger. Uh, that was kind of his plot, where he was like in this stasis pod underneath the ship or whatever, and then they awakened him by accident or something. So I'm picturing that. I'm, I'm picturing caribou you know, turning into swamp, you know, moving around the island, trying to get out of here, and he ends up in this basement, and then he awakens, he's like, starts fiddling with random buttons, or, you know, it's Vegapunk. Remember on, um, on Karakuri Island, there was basically just a giant button with a skull, where you press it, and a nuke goes off. So, Vegapunk is not above just having, like, giant red button, do not press, and Caribou's like, alright, <laughs> you know, and just like, and then it's like Darth Vegapunk arrives. It's like dawn, dawn, dawn. I am the seventh satellite. Who are you? And it's like hi, I'm Caribou. Hi. It's just like okay. Um. Anyway, they locked me away because they were afraid of my powers. I'll show them. And so he's the one that's actually messing around with the lab and the dome. And then Caribou is like his little lackey. So he's just like go about the island and eliminate all of the visual Den Den Mushies. I'll be in touch with you. You know, maybe he hands, you know, Caribou one of the receivers or something, and then now they're they're working together. That actually, I think, would make sense. I, I don't think it's the Gorosei. I don't think the Gorosei have arrived yet, but, um, yeah. Anyway, that's the chapter. Hope you guys all enjoyed. This will be Teching 101. Double snap. Signing out. Later, everybody. Have a fun weekend, I guess. Do -do 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 -do.